circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin. This is occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. This week on Full Circle, we will be commemorating 530 years of resistance to genocide and colonization by indigenous people of this Turtle Island. On tonight's show, we'll hear commentary on what the Thanksgiving Day holiday means to indigenous people. We'll also be hearing sounds from the International Indian Treaty Council's 43rd annual Indigenous Peoples Thanksgiving Day Gathering from Alcatraz. All that tonight on Full Circle. I'm your host tonight, Freewill and Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. History-wise is where we really got to look at the true meaning of Thanksgiving and the people would really look at how it came into existence uh, recognizing and celebrating the massacre of 700 Indian people. That's where our Thanksgiving come from. But I think if we were to take it a little bit further and we want to re-educate our people, then we would want to be, well, what is Thanksgiving? What does that mean to Native people, to indigenous peoples? Well, for me, I like to look at it not only as a day of, of giving thanks, but for us as Native people, every day is an opportunity to give thanks. Many of our people still do that today. Traditional people still do that. Spiritual people still do that. Spiritual leaders still do that. To greet the day. And I think uh, Thanksgiving is an opportunity for us to begin to start that thinking process again of uh, what it is that we're really thankful for. Are we thankful for the food that's on our table? Are we thankful for our life? Are we thankful for our health? Are we thankful for our families? What does it really mean to us? And I think as indigenous peoples, we can help people begin to re-understand and make a connection to the land and to the Mother Earth. Because I think for me, Thanksgiving is bigger than what I just explained. It's also giving thanks for the creation, for all the things that gives us life here on this planet. And today we can look around and see all these catastrophes going on, all of these changes in the climate and the weather is those are very significant points something's happening maybe it's because we're not giving things like we were giving in the beginning of time when we were giving what we would say the original instructions that our people somewhere along the way people all people we begin to lose those instructions and for native people for indigenous peoples of this land we still have those instructions and that is something i think we need to begin to remember and reflect on what is uh, Thanksgiving. Well, Alcatraz, for example, 
started because of the Indian occupation that took place in 1969 and 1970, but it was also in solidarity of the occupation that took place of the Mayflower and the Plymouth Rock. So I, I, you know, I hope that uh, people will, people that have gone to Alcatraz, people that will participate going to Alcatraz will hopefully get that. I've, uh, if people have ever visited the website, they should go visit the Alcatraz website, Thanksgiving uh, website, and see some of the stories that has surfaced over the years about people that have gone to Alcatraz and has it changed their life. And people need to really look at it in that way. And uh, to me, it's just really a reinforcing to know that this ceremony, which is a sunrise gathering, I remember 30 years ago, we couldn't even get 100 people there. Now we're getting 3,500 to 4,000 people there. That's saying something in terms of what our struggle is about and what we're trying to do here in the Bay Area, not only as a Native community, but as, as human beings. At first, we called it Unthanksgiving Day, because what we have to be thankful for other than you know, what, what we're looking at today in terms of the situation Native people, Indigenous peoples. But then we also began to think, well, now's an opportunity to educate the non-Indian people. So we decided to call it an Indigenous People's Day of Thanksgiving. And so with this is what we're bringing in our, our traditional people, our culture people, to give a whole new different concept and understanding of Thanksgiving, not the uh, so-called American holiday, generic type of holiday where you sit down and have turkey and sweet potatoes. and Actually, to really sit down and have a, a healthy conversation with our family, with one another, and talk about uh, what are we really thankful for, you know, not just our jobs or, you know, being here, but there's much more to this existence in this time of who we are in this place as Native people, as Indigenous peoples. I think that's one of the main focuses that we can contribute to the educating and probably the mending of what they call the sacred hoop. It's beginning to get back to those kind of teachings and understandings. And to me, that's what I would like to see happening on Thanksgiving and even after Thanksgiving and, and you know, to revisit those kind of myths. So I hope that in the years come that we begin to really take a look at these holidays. So whether it's Thanksgiving or whether it's Columbus Day, many of the other days. I mean, right now we're talking about American Indian Heritage Week, Indigenous Peoples Days and Solidarity and all of those things. Well, let's really educate. Let's really look at what these really mean to us. Let's bring back our own history, our history, not his story, but our history. So I would like to... Uh, Thank people that are listening and people that are uh, a part of this awareness and consciousness to step forward and let's get the word out about the myth of uh, Thanksgiving. Again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. 
I'm your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin. You just heard a commentary by Jimbo Simmons reflecting on what Thanksgiving Day means to Native Americans and what it could mean every day, just to give thanks. And before Jimbo's commentary, we heard from the All Nations drum, and that was recorded on the boat as we traveled across the bay to Alcatraz for the 2022 International Indian Treaty Council's 43rd Annual Thanksgiving Day Sunrise Gathering. And the International Indian Treaty Council writes that November brings to mind an antiquated and whitewashed history of relations with indigenous peoples. The International Indian Treaty Council has worked for more than four decades to shine a light on the true meaning and history of Thanksgiving. So on November 24th, for the 43rd year, the council will host more than 5,000 people from the San Francisco Bay and all over the world at the annual Indigenous Peoples Thanksgiving Sunrise Gathering on Alcatraz Island, Ohlone Territory. We will gather there to celebrate our resiliency, resistance, and survival, and to affirm truth in history. Of course, KPFA was there with the Radio Free Alcatraz crew, myself, Free Will and Franklin, Miguel Gavilan Molina, Falcone, Pedro Reyes, um, Sarah Blanco, and Rada Kiel back at the station. So let's check out some sounds from that event. And it kicks off with the MC and main organizer, International Indian Treaty Council's Morning Star Gali. Before we can talk about power and inequality, we must acknowledge that the land on which we gather is the traditional and unceded territory of the Ohlone peoples that are still here present stewarding and caretaking the land and sacred waters. We acknowledge that the institutions within the city and county of San Francisco continues to enact exclusions and erasures of California's indigenous peoples. This acknowledgement demonstrates a commitment to the beginning of the process of working to dismantle ongoing legacies of settler colonialism and to recognize the hundreds of indigenous nations who continue to live, resist, and uphold their sacred relations across our lands. We pay our respect to indigenous elders, past, present, and future, and to those who have stewarded this land throughout the generations. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone relatives, who are the original inhabitants of San Francisco, also known as Yulamu, and as you see out here, the Ohlone Bay. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ohlone peoples have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as all peoples who reside within their traditional territories. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homelands. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors and relatives of the Ohlone communities and by offering their sovereign rights as First Peoples. So that's an acknowledgement on behalf of our Ramatush Ohlone relatives. We are honored to have Chief Orville Looking Horse and his family here with us, who has traveled here from the Dakotas. And so we will ask him to come up and offer some words, please. 
Oh, popular. I bet you watch the. I don't know your hippie na you are popular tranka okay in chapi. I'm a class, it domina oyate, heche hona. Echechi, oh, hina jippi. Natona, heche yahippi. And a ochima coche. Kea makoche kile, eh, ona. Uchata ha, tehila, wotihila, oinajim. It's our highest honors to be here, my relatives, to be with each and every one of you in prayer this morning. To recognize the people, our relatives, out in the west, keepers of the western door. We have many relatives all across the Turtle Island. Once again, we're coming back here and doing a ceremony today. It's always our way to always be in prayer and ceremony throughout the whole year. That cycle of life, that Changleshka Waka. I am the 19th generation keeper of the sacred Chanupa, the sacred pipe of the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota Oyati. The Western society told us that we're the great Sioux nation that was given to us. We as the first indigenous people, first nations indigenous people here, way before Columbus come. Over 2,000 years ago, the story of a white buffalo calf woman, she brought a sacred pipe, a sacred chanupa to the heart of Turtle Island, we call the Chesapa, the Black Hills of South Dakota. And this is where we come from, the heart of Mother Earth, heart of everything that is. They say that we follow the animal nation, Wama Kashka Oyate, and well, each and every one of us, our people, they have many stories of creation, how the Great Spirit gave us this beautiful life to be here. Over 2,000 years ago, when the white buffalo calf woman come, not bringing that Chanupa. It was a time in history that everything was going wrong because we're people. We have many creation stories that relates, relates to that time. And so there's a time and 
everything was going like uh, no more animal nation out of uh, changes that was happening at the time and they prayed they, they prayed they called Chekia Cheas to cry and Kias to send your voice Chekia the people were praying when uh on top of the hill the clouds were low and the, from that clouds came a spirit woman it was a woman black hair buckskin carrying a bundle there was two scouts sitting on the hill and she came to them and she said i know what one of your thinking and the other all your thoughts are and you come to me the two scouts that were sitting there one said i must she's a beautiful woman i must take must i must take her home and those he has bad thoughts about her said so now you come to me so when he approached her with bad thoughts um a cloud got heavy and then clouds lifted he was in skeleton she told the other scout go back and tell the people i'm bringing this sacred bundle the very next day the people were waiting for her she was singing song in prayer she became and she brought this bundle said there's uh only the good shall see the pipe the bad should not even see or touch it in time you'll know the ceremonies that come with this sacred bundle when she left she stopped along the hill and rollover stood up as a black young buffalo she walked up the hill and stopped and rollover stood up and became a uh, red one went further up the hill and stopped and rollover stood up as a yellow the fourth time she stopped way on top was a uh, she stopped and rollover stood up as a white buffalo calf went over the hill as a white buffalo calf today we have that prophecy of the white buffalo calf she told the people someday i shall come and stand upon the earth as a white buffalo calf black nose black eyes black hooves i never thought in my life when i was young too it was 1966 when i became the sacred bundle keeper knowing the ceremonies and stories the white buffalo prophecy i never thought would be in our time it was 1994 and the white buffalo calf was born in jamesville wisconsin they say that it was like a needle in a haystack many people all over the world came seeing a white buffalo calf 
Janesville, Wisconsin. A lot of news media spread. But the story that I'm sharing with you the changes of time once again. Nineteen ninety six we journeyed back to Devil's Tower. Many of our tribes, indigenous people of this Turtle Island, traditional spiritual people, pray that these changes of time, all white animals shall be born upon the earth. We're going to see that 1994, the white buffalo prophecy that all nations would stand under the sacred tree. Prophecy of a crazy horse. In our spiritual way, know that the tree of life is spiritual. All of us being here, we have a mind, a body, and spirit. Mother Earth has a body and spirit. In that prophecy of the white buffalo calf woman, it says that Mother Earth will be sick and has a fever. It's going to affect all people, the mind, body, and spirit. Many of our relatives would have a hard time going back to where our relatives are in a spiritual world. And today that is happening. We see the abuse of uh, all things. 1996, I made a statement saying that. We are at the crossroads. Either be faced with a lot of chaos, global disasters, tears from my relatives' eyes. We're going to see earthquakes, volcanoes, the winds get stronger. We're going to see the much sickness, viruses. We're going to see a lot of pain, speak, people speaking out of anger, hatred, jealousy. People getting up in the morning and saying nothing is good no more. We are at the crossroads. Either see all that or we can unite spiritually, all nations, all faiths, one prayer. Today, we as indigenous people, we still face global disasters. We see we're faced with genocide. We're faced with a lot of anger, violence. 
that prophecy it says that no more honorable war, uh, wars. It's going to be all about money. No more honorable leaders. False prophets. Who do, are we going to look up to and trust? For we shall be people again. We must be to unite, to stand together in that sacred circle. Because Turtle Island here, on the Turtle Island, Ireland's, on the Turtle Island, the Turtle's back is our calendar, our way of life. When we were young, you know, they told us that that tree of life is in our heart. From the satellite view, you look down at the black hills. The red fluorescent light looks like all the trees and rivers and creeks and streams. It looks like a tree on the heart. When the white buffalo calf woman, she brought that sacred pipe. The red color is our blood. The red stone is red because, of, because it's iron. Same amount of iron is in our blood. On this turtle island, we are very unique. So we are uniting today. I have brought that message of the white buffalo calf woman prophecy with because I'm the keeper of the sacred pipe today, and the message must get stronger each year because we're going to survive in this world for the future of our children and we're going to stand together like standing rock. We've got to stand together in prayer. Thank you very much. Hope. At this time, we're going to have all nations. We're going to ask for all nations to offer an honor song. We are going to ask for Chief Orville Looking Horse to come up. At this time, uh, Fred was offering tobacco earlier. So we are going to have an honoring for those Alcatraz veterans that are still here with us today. I see a number of them, a number of the families, as Casil was saying with her grandmother, Rosalie McKay, Ed Willie that was here. I see the Oaks family, Vaughn Oaks and Elijah Oaks, daughter and grandson of Richard Oaks. I see Chris Longoria and her daughter, Natasia. There's many of you out here in this circle. So we ask for all nations to come up and offer this honor song. And then we'll ask for Orville, Chief Orville Looking Horse to uh, offer some words and then we'll go in uh, for Alvaro and our Aztec dancers. So we thank you for your patience. We thank you for being here with us in the circle today. And uh, thank you for staying here for, for this honoring of all of them.
are going to ask for uh, Mama Jules, Julie Dreamer. She traveled over from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. She's with the Mothers Against Meth Alliance that is fighting meth on her reservation in Pine Ridge. And she traveled here to be here with us today. And so we're very grateful and honored to have her share some words. After she shares, we're going to have uh, Gerardo Velasco, if he can come up, Gerardo Velasco and his interpreter, and then we'll have All Nations drum. So thank you all for your patience and thank you for being here with us this morning. I heard that he honey washed day to you. My name is Julie Richards. I'm the founder of the Mothers Against Meth Alliance. This is my third trip out here and I love it. I love coming here. I love the ceremony. I love the ways, but right now I just want to honor the ancestors of this land because they allowed us to be here today. Thank you. Um, today, I am not going to talk about my program. I'm going to talk about Free and Leonard Peltier. Leonard Peltier's been in my family since the 70s. My grandmother, Geraldine Highwolf Janice, took him as a brother. And um, my grandma passed away a few years ago, and my auntie Eileen Janice, she took up that slack. She carried on the fight that my grandma, that my grandparents had for Free and Leonard. And my auntie, I'm gonna talk about my auntie Eileen Janice today too for a few minutes. She did the suicide prevention program on Pine Ridge. We had a suicide epidemic. She saved hundreds of children from killing themselves. Last week, a few days ago, my auntie went to be with my grandparents. And Leonard called the hospital. When they got her to Pine Ridge Hospital, Leonard called and we put the phone to her ear and let him talk to her. And after he was done talking to her, they passed the phone around to the rest of the family members so we could all say hi to Leonard. And he remembered me and he remembered hearing about my work. And so me and him talked for a while. And I told him that I'm building a safe space for the addicts to be able to heal. And I'm building a food forest on Pine Ridge this year. So his administrators reached out and they're gonna help. They're gonna help make that a, a reality. So now I'm gonna ask you all, let's make it a reality for Leonard to get out behind those iron bars. Every single person here, call Biden. Call your legislatures, call everybody. We need to get Leonard freed this year. He's been in there 47 years too long. I was three years old when he went in. I can imagine being in there for 47 years. You know, he, he, he knows I fight against pipelines and I'm always in jail. <laughs> always end up in jail for locking down the pipelines and and 
And he told me to be careful. You know, he said, be careful because they want political prisoners. They want people that fight for the land. They want indigenous folks that fight for the land and fight for our people. Just like Uncle Arvo said, you know, we, we still remain, we're still here. And so we need to make that path for, for I'm gonna be 50 years old this year in January. So I need to make that path for my grandchildren and their great grandchildren's to be able to be free. So remember, free Leonard Paltier. Everybody call Biden. Everybody call your Uncle Biden. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Biden, please free Leonard Paltier this year. It's, it's 47 years past due. Thank you all for your time. All right, this is Preble and Franklin here on Alcatraz. And the day is wrapping up, and I am joined by Mama Jules, Jules Richards from the uh, Pine Ridge Reservation. How are you doing, Mama Jules? I'm doing great this morning. Doing really good this morning. All right, and uh, well, thanks for being here. And I just want to talk to you. I know you spoke about Leonard. We'll talk about Leonard as well. But I want to talk to you about um, uh, Mama's, your program, Mothers Against Meth Alliance. So tell me about uh, Mamas and how you got started. So Mamas is a grassroots program that I started out of my house to help the uh, addicts and their families after my oldest daughter became addicted to meth. And there's, to this day, there is no programs on Pine Ridge but mine that fights meth. The tribe don't have any, the government don't have any, nobody. So I'm still the only program out here fighting meth. Talk about what um, you've seen when Method came into the reservation because I've seen it sweep through where I live. I was also um, addicted to meth for 10 years and I finally got out of it. So what are you seeing out there on the reservation? What's it doing to your people? Right now we're having relatives on relatives. Um, there's a lot of gun violence. So we have relatives on relatives shooting each other. We have young kids shooting each other. We have whole families addicted. Um, right now, we're, it's a pretty unsafe space for um, the kids right now. And what do you do to actually go out and combat this? I know you're on the streets, you're in the schools, you got a number of things. Tell us about the different ways you work to combat the meth spirit. The main thing I do is ceremony. And after ceremony, I go out and I patrol my community, um, looking for meth dealers, looking for sex traffickers. I actually pull kids out of uh, trap houses when when their family gets a hold of me and asks me to do something like that. I do walks and rallies, but this year I got land and I'm building a safe space for the addicts to be able to come and heal like a grassroots detox. Well, tell us more about that because I know this has been a dream of yours and it's finally coming yes. to fruition. Talk about what you're gonna do at this space, where is it at, and you know what you're look for, looking forward to. So I got some um, land on Pine Ridge. Uh, I started with, I'm starting with two and a half acres because that's what the tribe gives us. And I'm gonna, um, I wanna build three uh, tiny houses and start with three of the addicts and like a trial, you know, trial basis. But we're also going to build food forests. We're going to build sweat lodges. We're going to um, grow food all year round because 
and a lot of people and, and a lot of it will go to the diabetics and elders but I at least half of it needs to stay with the addicts because they never get access to good healthy foods and um, you mentioned ceremony a moment ago talk about how important it is for especially Native Americans and Indians to get back into their cultural roots to help um, get out of the meth spirit and to um, you know, even after you're done, you still have a lot of catching up to do on life. So talk about the importance of ceremony and the tribal ways to really help Native Americans when they're dealing with addiction. So it's really important to um, come back into the ceremony and come back to the circle, call your spirit back and um, talk to the ancestors and ask the ancestors for help and guidance because they answer and it's really hard. It gets kind of hard because of the historical trauma and the boarding schools and the Catholic churches. And it's only been since 1978 that we've been able to practice our ceremonies. So right now I think it's really important to bring them back into the circle and teach them our ways. And that'll have a, a tremendous effect on their, their souls and their spirits, yes. you know? Yes, they call their spirits back, and once their spirits are called back into their bodies, then they're able to talk with our ancestors. And also in the circle today, you spoke about um, your family's connection to Leonard Beltier. Yeah. He's been in there, I think it's 47, 47, years. 47 years now for a crime he most likely did not commit. Um, so tell us about your family connection real quick, and then you know um, what you're doing for Leonard, because I see you have a stack yeah. of papers and you're, you're working on his behalf. Yes, um, my grandma was a big member of the AIM in 73, the takeover at Wounded Knee, allegedly, okay, no, my grandmother's been dead for a few years, but um, she took Leonard as her brother at that time, and when he went to prison, she spent the rest of her life fighting to get him freed. When my, my grandmother passed, it went down to my Auntie Eileen. Now that my auntie Eileen, Eileen has passed, like I'm the one who's still out here being an activist and fighting for our people. So then it fell on me and I'm I'm grateful. I'll do whatever it takes to try to help Grandpa Leonard to see freedom. And um, just any wise words you have for the folks out there, whether um, they're addicted or they're just trying to get back to a, a righteous way within themselves, you know, what do you got to say to them out there before I let you go? that I believe in you and there's always hope. Even if you feel like there's no hope, there is that little bit of hope. And if you need that little bit of hope, give me a call, I'll build you up. All right, and where could they find um, Mothers Against Meth Alliance? I know you're on Facebook, where at? Just Facebook, we have a Meth Mother Against Meth Alliance Facebook page. All right, you look it up, uh, Mothers Against Meth Alliance on Facebook. Thank you, Mama Jules, for all your work, everything you're doing for Leonard and for, for our people. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's our um, legacy every time I come out here. Yes, definitely. It's good to see you when you are here. Yes, it's so good to see you, Frank. All right, uh, this is Speedwell and Franklin. We're out here on Alcatraz. The sun has come up. We're warming up a little bit. And joining us here at the uh, KPFA table is uh, Fabiana Rodriguez. Uh, welcome here, Fabiana. Thank you so much. Good to see you. And I understand uh, you just got back from Egypt and you were at the the COP uh, 27, all right? Yes. And well, what did you learn while you were there? I know there's a, there's a lot that goes into it on yes. the outside um, with the people different than what goes 
on on the inside with the politicians and stuff. So let's just talk about first what you saw on the outside. How was it um, visiting the cop and seeing the people on the streets? Yeah, well, you know, interestingly, um, the world governments are realizing that there's a massive international movement to fight for our Mother Earth and a movement that's led by indigenous people from throughout the world. And so this year's COP, they had it at a very exclusive place that was very hard to get to. But nevertheless, delegations from the Amazon, delegations representing indigenous nations throughout Africa, throughout the island nation showed up to demand that our world governments immediately set a moratorium on fossil fuels because as we know, the fossil fuel industry, the petrochemical industry is poisoning our mother earth. They've been doing that. And also to name that the climate crisis is a result of colonization and of white supremacy. And that not only do we need to phase out of fossil fuels, that we actually need loss and damage. We need reparations because at this point, the ecosystems around the world, whether it's our neighborhoods in East Oakland or the Amazon forests uh, have been devastated and there's only so much we can adapt to. We actually need reparations. The challenging thing, though, is that while it's very important for us to show up and to speak our minds, the fossil fuel industry is extremely well organized and they showed up deep and they influenced the final outcomes of COP. And in a very disappointing way, our world governments not only did not they not come to conclusions on loss and damage, but they also did not agree to phase out dirty energy. So we are at a threat to surpass the 1.5 Celsius. We know that global warming is already advancing and moving fast. We cannot tolerate more than 1.5. More than 1.5 would have devastating consequences. And yet our world governments, which are being influenced by the fossil fuel industry, did not agree to what we needed them to. So while it's disappointing, we have to be able to come back and demand that these industries stop killing our planet. And, and I, I want to name also that it's indigenous people, especially from Turtle Island, that are leading the way. It was really powerful to see two new elected um, mujeres uh, uh, from the Amazon now in Congress in Brazil. It's a big victory that Lula won because it means that, that we're going to be moving away from uh, the exploitation of the Amazon. Uh, but overall, it was, you know, COP27, which is the UN climate summit, is the only opportunity where the entire international movement for Mother Earth gets to gather and organize. And so on the outside, we were uh, fighting and in the streets. And you mentioned on the inside, um, they're really being influenced by the fossil fuel companies who really had a large presence That's on right. the inside. So I, I guess, you know, we're out there fighting and we're we're trying to maintain um, to stay below this increase, this one That's point. That's right. But what do you think it's going to take us um, to convince these leaders? Because I understand there was even a split on the inside for these um, reparations to these poorer countries that have been struggling with the effects of climate change. So there was kind of a dramatic split even on the leaders on the inside. So um, take us back to the inside yes. and what you saw with... Um, you know, the global South kind of coming together and saying, you know, this is, can't go on. And compared to um, the, the other leaders of like the Western, mm -hmm. um, the Western yeah. states. Well, you know, what, what it really means for Western states to pay reparations is that an acknowledgement of the impacts of colonization, because colonization is what set off a wave of the destruction of ecosystems, the exploitation of the land, exploitation of human beings, of animals. And so we are now 
500 years later, we are experiencing the impacts of it. And those impacts have only accelerated, right? Because we live in a colonial capitalist system that exploits many types of bodies, especially black, indigenous, but also forest bodies, ocean bodies. And so now we're at a point where countries throughout the world, like Pakistan, right? We They, they cannot recover. And the issue is that when the Western developed nations agree to a loss and damage, they are also concerned that they're opening up themselves to even more litigation, even more demands, because essentially loss and damage is an acknowledgement that they have harmed. So did and they, so they're resisting it. They they're resisting it. They, well, the thing is, the movement has been successful in putting this on the agenda. And so while the Americans showed up a little bit resistant, by the end, they had to soften. But we didn't reach amounts and we didn't reach who's going to pay. Um, and the, yes, the, the, the world that has been impacted is still trying to even get the developed nations to agree to pay. And so it's, you know, I mean, this is this is classic politics. This is the developed world um, slowing down and the house is on fire. I mean, this is what so many activists say is that our world is burning. Global warming is increasing. We are seeing the impacts of the climate crisis now. It's here. We need solutions. And sadly, um, we you know, we, we while change hasn't been made, what we actually need to do is that we, as people living on this earth, need to organize for the fight of our lives. And, you know, as a cultural worker, one thing I was talking about a lot at COP is that, you know, people don't understand what's happening at COP, just like they see a report by the IPCC and they don't necessarily understand how it translates to us. So we need to help bring the urgency of the climate crisis and say, this environmental movement, this is not something that just, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio's of the world are leading. This is us. This We've been mo the most impacted as people of color. And we have the responsibility, especially through our ancestors, to be able to ensure that this planet is here for the next seven generations. And so there has to be a culture shift. And for the people, the everyday people, to demand from their governments that we can no longer wait. Because I believe that once we have mass people in the streets, we have people blocking oil projects, literally, you know, putting their bodies on the line is when we are going to see change. And real quick, talk about, um, you mentioned seven generations in the, the future and our young folks. Talk about how the young folks come out big because oh, um, they're feeling yes. the effects, they're seeing it. And That's the right. young folks aren't, I don't want to say like us, but they, um, they're, I think they're a little wiser oh. coming, coming up. So talk about what you see from the, the young folks coming up today and yes. get right up on the mic too so we can hear you. Yes. Folks. Well, I have to say the young people were extremely, extremely inspiring. I mean, this is real. What we talk about culture shift and we see young folks sitting at the U.N. tables and saying, shame on you. You guys talk about solutions, but you guys actually don't do anything. You guys, it's our grandchildren. You know, you have these kids, these 16 year old, 14 year old, eight year olds coming through and saying, shame on you adults, you guys have not resolved this and now we're here, we're going to inherit the problem and we're here to demand that not you, you don't phase out slowly, that you immediately, immediately stop oil projects. And frankly, it was incredibly inspiring. This year for the first time in the blue zone, which is the official zone where all the world governments meet and that's where many of us were at, the, the organizers, 
for the first time, they had a children and youth pavilion. And in the children and youth pavilion is where children showed up, youth representing their nations, you know, representing island nations, representing their tribes. And it was fascinating to see how the youth, they're just, not only are they wise, but they're very clear and they're very unapologetic and unafraid to stand up to these world leaders. The world leaders though, they overwhelmingly men, older. I mean, you had less than women, less in the actual negotiating rooms in the top levels probably less than, than the fingers on my hand. And so what it reflects, of course, is that climate change is not just a colonial problem, not just a racist problem, it's a gender problem, it's an age issue. So, you know, I, I feel that being there is, is an opportunity to unite with the global movement of Earth protectors, and they come in all ages, they come in all colors, they come from all nations. And together we are saying we are uniting. It's a very exciting, exciting movement to be a part of, to be uniting for our only home, for the protection of our Mother Earth. And, you know, something that um, Casey... Camp said that I've, I've, I will always remember. She said, um, we are not protecting nature. We are nature protecting itself. Yeah, I like that. And then real quick, before we let you go, you are an artist. Um, before we talk about your art in particular, just tell us about the role of the artist in these times, because we could see all this beautiful art for the climate, even here today, um, lots of different art, but the environmental movements really can turn the art out. So talk about the importance and the role of art in these movements. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, that's that's why I went. I went representing the art and culture sector because for the first time, the United Nations is recognizing that we cannot win on climate without a cultural strategy. So pretty soon, the UN is actually going to launch a culture and entertainment um, proposition that is going to be around uniting all the cultural sectors in the world, the entertainment industry, to demand that we take action on climate because we have to shift culture. So as an artist, you know, I believe that cultural change precedes political change and that we cannot have the politics we want until we first make the ideas normalized in the same way that television shows would normalize gay marriage and how trans culture has become very normalized because of television, because of books, because of the presence of trans people in pop culture. Similarly with immigrant rights, right? There's been a increasing visibility that has helped shift the needle on the conversation of immigration. We see it over and over again. We see it with Black Lives Matter. We see it with Me Too. We have to include the earth. We, we can't just be racial justice and gender justice is actually climate justice. And so we have to remember that as we are demanding equity, economic power, all of that, we have to include the natural world. And I believe that that's what we can do through culture. We can normalize culture. We're never gonna move off fossil fuels until we normalize renewable energy, right? So where are the films where we have solar power? Where are the movements where we're saying, you know, F the polluters, we have to stop oil. How do we make it cool to harness the power of the sun, right? Right? the power of the wind, these are all natural powers, but our culture has been so accustomed to dirty energy. It's like how we live. And in order to change behaviors, we first have to change the culture. And this is where artists come in. This is where cultural makers come in because artists speak to our emotions. They speak to our heart space. They show us what's possible. And the power of culture is that it's a light. In, in times of hardship, it is a light for us. It is a beacon and it makes the impossible feel tangible. Definitely wise words coming from Fabian Rodriguez. Tell folks real quick where they could check out your art. I understand you're having a big art sale. And yes. so where can people view your beautiful art and maybe pick some up? Yes. 
Yes, thank you so much. Um, well, you could, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm Fabiana and the number one, and Fabiana is spelled F-A-V as in Victor, I-A-N-N-A, Fabiana one. My website, Fabiana.com, you can click on the shop. And, you know, I'm a woman of color artist. I work with a lot of femmes. I work with queer folks, BIPOC femmes, and art is truly the medicine of our culture. It's through art that we can tell our stories. We can record the moment. We can make a statement about the kind of world we want to see. So thank you so much for supporting me. You know, KPFA has been such a, a long time home um, for me. And so I'm, I'm really honored to be here. All right. Thank you, Fabiana Rodriguez. And thank you for being out here today and all the work that you do in the community. Thank you so much. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for more pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. There you will also find a link to the entire 2022 International Indian Treaty Council's Thanksgiving Sunrise Gathering. And I'll also post some of the pictures that I uh, took and gathered. And shout out to the Radio Free Alcatraz crew, Miguel Gavilan Molina, Falcone, Pedro Reyes, Sarah Blanco, myself, Free Will and Franklin. I'm also the technical director for this show, Full Circle. Another shout out to First Voice graduate Roddy Keel, who was at the controls at KPFA broadcasting the Sunrise Gathering. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. <laughs>